You're listening to On Becoming a Brand, a Rethink Retail exclusive where we dive into the stories that shaped the brands we love and the people behind them. On today's episode, we hear from Sean Nelson, the founder and CEO of Lovesack, a publicly traded high-end furniture retailer with over 160 showrooms across the United States. You might also remember Sean from the 2005 primetime show, The Rebel Billionaire, where he outlasted a competitive field of other entrepreneurs, including Spanx founder, Sarah Blakely, and won a $1 million investment from Virgin's Richard Branson. But long before he founded the Billion Dollar Furniture Company, Sean was just your average teenager who thought it would be a funny and novel idea to construct a supersized beanbag chair at his childhood home in Utah. And that is where today's story begins. I grew up in Salt Lake City, Utah, in the same home all the way from my birth to uh, through college, where I started Love Sack in my parents' basement. And it was an awesome place to grow up, allowed for all kinds of creativity and freedom, you know, riding our bikes as kids around the neighborhood, going long distances, kind of uh, very independent from the beginning. And, um, you know, I think sometimes asked about my earliest entrepreneurial endeavors were probably stripping all the neighborhood trees of their cherries to sell them by the cooler full to some of the uh, catering kitchens uh, around Salt Lake um, for hundreds of dollars when I was probably like nine years old and shirtless. So good times coming up there and, uh, you know, crazy times in high school. And I was 10 days out of high school when I had the kind of silly idea to make a really big beanbag, you know, like me to the TV, like the whole floor, like how, how cool would it be to have a, a beanbag that big? And, and I got off the couch at that moment, in fact, and drove down to Joanne's Fabrics and bought uh, seven yards of tan vinyl and seven yards of black vinyl on their clearance table and brought it home and drew two giant figure eights, kind of like a baseball pattern. And, uh, started sewing it together. Couldn't finish it. So my girlfriend's mom, uh, had, had more skills than I did after jamming my mom's sewing machine, uh, finished it for me, put a zipper in it and I began stuffing it three weeks, putting soft stuff in it. And, uh, the first love sack was born. It wasn't called a love sack. It was just a thing I had made to be funny. <laughs> Sean's giant and, thing uh, bag. Yeah, that's exactly right. And everywhere I took it, Everyone wants one. You know, everyone took it. It's like, oh my gosh, where'd you get that? Fill the back of a truck, right? So we take it to the drive-in movies. We take it camping and everyone wants one. And I actually wrapped it up, put it away for a couple of years, served a mission for my church, came back in 1998 and started up university again, studying business and, and Chinese, having spoken Chinese on my mission and pulled this thing out of the garage that I had forgotten about because my friends were going to the drive-in movies once again, everybody wants one. Finally, months later, my neighbors convinced me to finally make them one. And if I'm going to make it for them, you know, I need a, I need a company. I need a name. I need, you know, love, peace, hate, war, hippie, beanbag, love bag, love sack. Ah, paid 25 bucks at the Utah State Tax Commission to register that name in 1998. And, and the company was born. 
And we began selling these things, you know, on the lawn at the university, paid for 10 by 10 booth boat shows, home shows, car shows. And everywhere we went, we, we got more orders. Everybody wants one. Their, their friends want one. I began making them a little more rapidly using uh, this foam shredder in the back of a furniture company downtown Salt Lake. And it's just kind of a side hustle through university. Never made any money. You know, the van would break, the shredder would break, have to fix things, have to buy more fabric. And it was just kind of a drag on my life, to be honest. I was, you know, going to school in the mornings, stuffing sacks in the afternoon, trying to deliver them, waiting tables at a restaurant from, you know, dinner time through, you know, till midnight to kind of pay my way through school and buy gas and whatever. And living in my parents' basement. My parents' basement was a dance studio. My mom was a ballet teacher for 40 years and had retired. And I got to basically put a futon in a thousand square foot room, but that gave me the space to roll out the fabric on the floor, the old dance studio floor and um, make these things by hand and then you know deliver them to the seamstress of the street. So it was just a tiny operation. And by the end of university, I was just like wiped out. I'm, I'm like, I've got a degree coming. I've got job offers. I got to close this thing down and move on with life. Mm-hmm. And every time I went to kind of talk about closing up my friends and, and people that had them be like, no, you can't close love sack. I love my love sack. And <laughs> you know, I think, I think you had one in college, right? I did. Well, my so, friend did, but I essentially I lived there. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, like people get attached to them, you know, you spend time and they're, and they're goofy and they become like the topic of conversation. So people were really passionate about it. And so I said, all right, we, we took it to this big trade show in Chicago to hopefully get, you know, bigger orders than just friends of friends and, uh, and, and didn't get any and mm-hmm. came back rejected and, and feeling like, well, you know, I probably spent $15,000 on credit cards to get here and set this thing up, but, but at least now I can close it down knowing that I tried, mm-hmm. you know, like we, we took it to the show. It didn't work. And, and then my phone rings as I'm stuffing a sack down at this old factory and I turn off the shredder and brush the foam out of my hair and, you know, answer it. Love Sack Corporation, because <laughs> uh, it's an out-of-state number. And it, and, and it turns out it's someone who saw us at the show. They want 12,000 little Love Sacks for Christmas, not knowing it's like me and a college buddy and like this wood chipper thing that we'd shred foam on. <laughs> and so we, we took the order. I had it made in China, found the fabric, built a whole factory using farm equipment on credit cards to manufacture, you know, mass quantities of these things, shrink them down by hand and and, and somehow completed this order, collected a quarter million dollars, but never made a dime again. You know, the equipment would break and, and 9-11 happened while we were in the factory. So the price of transport went up, foam went up, and, and basically it was a wash. But I had a factory, you know, that could, that could make a lot of stuff now. So we scrambled and went to the big furniture chains and they laughed at us and told us it was a stupid idea and our name was crazy. And so... My cousin said, well, let's open our own store. And we went to the malls and they laughed at us and said, look, we've got Pottery Barn and Abercrombie and like, what's Love Sack? Mm. (laughs) And wouldn't even let us in. But then one mall that was brand new opening for that holiday season and the Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City had a few empty spaces. They had already rejected us, but they called me back and said, look, we'll let you in for Christmas, temporary lease through the Olympics. Just, Just don't make us look bad. So we maxed out my cousin's credit cards and the carpet and the paint and the neon sign and opened us our first location in, on November 17th of 2001, the week that Harry Potter opened. I remember because there's like wizards walking around the mall, flopping into love sacks, music's pumping, 
big screen TV movies playing all day and people just like the vibe and they, to our surprise, bought our six foot, eight foot, you know, five foot sacks, um, shrunken down in duffels, take them home, pick any cover you want off the shelf. And we couldn't believe it. You know, six figures in just a few weeks at full retail. I finally got to pay myself. You know, I, I had graduated from college with like without a job basically. And now I got to pay myself 10 bucks an hour to work in the mall. But we took the, <laughs> we took the, the cash, we opened more stores. We, we opened all over the West. We franchised. I got a, recruited to be on a reality TV show with Richard Branson. I won a million dollars on Fox Network. Uh, believe it or not, on the show that's kind of like The Apprentice meets The Amazing Race with Richard Branson yeah. as made president of religion worldwide. Oh man, I could go on and on. <laughs> I mean, help us raise money, open more stores. We invented sectionals. Sectionals now are the, you know, fast forward many years, this couch we invented, it took us a decade to figure out how to sell high-end furniture across the hall from, say, Pottery Barn or whatever. Mm-hmm. And we, you know, it took us a long time to, to kind of morph the brand from being this beanbag, you know, love sack brand to being this credible uh, sofa brand. And we experimented with everything, rugs, lamps, bowls, baskets, light fixtures. But when we, we got actually jettisoned all that stuff in 2016, started national TV advertising just for the couch, like a direct consumer approach, you know, w- watching what Warby Parker, Casper, you know, a lot of these direct mm-hmm. consumer brands were doing, we realized we had the answer for couches. And sure enough, now hundreds of millions of dollars later, I mean, Lovesack has gone public in 2018 at about a hundred million in sales trailing. And now, you know, it'll be over 600 million going forward this year and uh, projected to be in, and uh, we've been public for just four years and six X the company and fast growing furniture retailer in the United States pretty much. And and, and on to new products, we just invented this thing called Stealth Tech, which I'm really proud of. This fully immersive surround sound system hidden inside the sofa that can be reverse compatible with the sectionals we've sold for years and years. So, which leads us to our whole design philosophy, which I'm sure we'll talk more about. But that's that's kind of like the short version of a very <laughs> long story. 24 years now and still kicking. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Well, thank you for giving me the the abridged version of your story, which I I think is a remarkable story. From the get-go, it feels like a lot of it was just saying yes. You know, hey, can you make me one? Yes. You know, hey, can you make us 12,000? Yes. Uh, I don't know how I'm going to do it, but yeah, let's do it. And a lot of it seems like, you know, as as most um, of the greatest entrepreneurs out there is a lot of just figuring it out as you go. And you you mentioned Richard Branson's show back in 2005. And, and on that show, you competed with some pretty big names, uh, Sarah Blakely of the Spanx dynasty. I think she was the runner up of that show. <laughs> well, we joke. I mean, she's a good friend and you know, I, I won the show, but she won in real life, but uh, <laughs> she's amazing. And, and yeah, it was an amazing opportunity to, to get to know Richard Branson and learn from him, people like Sarah. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just a crazy run, but one kind of one thing has led to another and, you know, Love Sack is becoming something that I could have never, of course, imagined in my parents' basement. And, but, and, and I think there's, there's so much to learn from this, right? Mm-hmm. Like, um, cause today, you know, this whole hustle coach culture, all of this entrepreneurial wisdom that's just floating out there for free on the internet, you know, from Gary V to 
um, podcast to whatever is that I didn't have that, mm-hmm. you know, in fact, you know, when, when, when I first looked for that furniture manufacturer that I could shred foam with, I had to yellow page it, you know, like Google didn't exist. The internet was barely getting going. The cell phones were rare. Sure. And, and so, you know, it's a very long arc. Mm-hmm. And from and, what I read, you were you were hand shredding that, or you were you were shredding it up with like a, a paper a paper cutter. Yeah, yeah. The first sacks, I, I I took the foam, you know, like camping mattresses, and I chopped them into strips on a paper. Oh cutter, my gosh! You know, like you'd slice paper with, and then turn them this way and turn, chop them into cubes, and it took weeks. But but my my point is is that um, we didn't have a plan. Uh huh. We didn't have a vision. We had we had some vision, you know, along the way. Like we wanted to grow this beanbag thing and and have more stores then, but but we couldn't imagine what it could morph into if you just kind of keep going and 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 sometimes allow things to grow. You know, mm-hmm. sometimes allow the customers to tell you why they love it and, and what's cool about it and. And, and, you know, put things out there like sectionals. We put them out there with no no research or anything. We, we were just trying to make a couch that we could put in boxes. And then along the way, we solved all these other problems. Now it's a washable, changeable, movable sofa you can have the rest of your life. Why do people love it? For those reasons. And then it got us thinking, you know, somewhere along the way, well, you know, it comes down to this idea that they're built to last a lifetime. And they can evolve with your life as your life changes. Well, there's a whole design philosophy packed into that. We call it designed for life. Mm -hmm. And now it's the way we make things. So it's like the the sack led us to sectionals, led us to a whole design philosophy that will now allow us to, I think, continue to just dominate in the home category because we're actually inventing radical solutions Mm -hmm. that are sustainable because they sustain, because they actually can be with you mm-hmm. the rest of you. Like, no one's talking about this. Everyone's talking about plastic bottles or recycle. And by the way, we do that too. We, we recycle more plastic bottles into home deck fabric than any company in the United States of America, wow. because we're making millions and millions of yards of this gray fabric that our sectionals are upholstered in. And then of course you can slip whatever cover you want over that and wash it and change it. And some of those are made with plastic bottles too. So, but we barely mention it because the real art of sustainability in my opinion is making things that can sustain yeah. it's more than just making well they have to be made to adapt to life and to aesthetics and to styles otherwise you know you're going to leave it at the curb someday just because you just don't like it anymore mm-hmm. and so you know of course really proud of of all of this um evolution that's happened and it's happening that will lead us long past billions in sales and we sell two products, basically. Wow! And can you tell me a little bit about the sectional and you know how that idea came to be? Was it always intended to be this sustainable product, or was it intended to be just a move into a new category? And and how did this mm-hmm. this whole design for life philosophy kind of come to be and evolve over time? Yes. So in the very first Love Sack store, there was a couch in the corner, this leather sofa that looked really pretty. And it was there to just look pretty. And, you know, the sacks would flop down in front and kind of look like a living room and the big screen TV playing movies. And mm-hmm. people would come in and flop down and have a good time and just enjoy themselves. And then, you know, hopefully buy a sack or want to buy a sack. Um, and, but inevitably, every day someone would say, well, how much is that couch? I really like that couch. <laughs> 
we couldn't deal with it once we sold it actually because some someone compelled us to but then like we had trouble getting it to them delivering it we probably scratched it on the door on the way out then we get it there and they want like the matching ottoman and armchair and I'm like, well, <laughs> you know, go to Raymore and Flanagan like I, you know what, yeah. what, what am I, what am I going to do and and in this tiny store we had you know is an 800 square foot little store and it had a tiny back room where we suck all of the air out of a love sack mm-hmm. until it's one eighth its original volume that's one of the magic elements of love sack that it's always made it successful as we can ship them ups in these duffel bags and you get it and you unzip it and it grows and it's just really cool because it's foam it's not being bad mm-hmm. but if only we could do that same thing for couches where we could actually stock these things and really efficiently and and also separate the fabric from the item then that's critical because then if I have one, let's say super sack in stock, but 20 covers, technically I have 20 super sacks for you to choose from right now. Mm -hmm. You could walk out with it, ship it to you. So that was our mentality in in trying to solve the couch problem. Can we just make a couch that does that? And we didn't exactly make it shrink down, but we did take this back pillow that I'm sitting on right now in in the seat cushion and pack them up inside of the seat frame that's made of solid hardwood. And that was, you know, already half compact compared to most couches and the way that they're shipped and delivered. And then, you know, we realized that once we separate the pieces, the arm and the back, and, and, and we could, we could have the covers slide over them really elegantly, perfectly. They look like upholstery and all these problems were kind of solved by this invention and, and, and the back can be the arm and the arm can be the back. And that's a mathematical relationship. We have patents on that. We have a number of patents. We've defended them for a very long time. So sectionals were really fantastic from the beginning as a solution, mm-hmm. but we had this big sign in the first store that said sectionals are here as if people would, you know, come flocking into this big bag <laughs> shop and say, tell us about these sectional. And we learned the hard way that, um, you know, selling couches is a boring game. Like no, like no one's asking about your couch. And, and so then we started adopting all the pottery barn techniques of, you know, uh, windows and I don't know, votives and vases and candles and, and light fixtures and rugs and lamps and tables. And it, it got better. And we became kind of this little home furnishings brand, but we were never really growing at the pace we we finally achieved until to that 2015-16 realm where we made this direct consumer pivot around sectionals and, and really got rid of all that crap mm-hmm. and said we are just going to focus on this so well and deliver the message in a way through advertising through video mm-hmm. that shows people how to change and morph and grow and shrink and you know be washed in the washing machine and so sectionals then really started to of course fly and now it's 90 percent of the business let's say including stealth tech, but, but it was that observation, like it came through social media. Like, why do people like our product? Like, has it really started to take off? What is it about it that resonates? And one day I'm looking at my competitors, you know, in the mall, you've got crate and barrel or restoration hardware party. They all sell couches. And I was looking at their hashtags, you know, on Instagram and they're so beautiful. Mm -hmm. You know, every room made from these products. I mean, and these are often customer photos of their homes, you know? And, and then I, I look at love sacks, hashtag love sack images, and they're co- sort of not so beautiful. You know, they're a little <laughs> bit grumpy and they're, and they're broken in and they've got, you know, eight, eight kids and dogs and pets piled on it's movie night and they're selfie, but there's something so beautiful in that, you know, they weren't these perfect rooms, but they were lived in, they were mm-hmm. lived on, they were jumped on, they were slow mode plopping into a love, love sack. And it's like, 
you know, there's so much life there. And that was the unlock. Like our product facilitates real life Mm -hmm. in a way that these glossy, you know, magazine worthy furniture purveyors don't. You know, there's a couch you can eat on. Don't worry about it. You wash one piece. You you replace one cover of one arm if your cat scratches it and it's brand new again. Or just flip it around the other way. And and we encourage that. We don't, you know, we're not trying to get you to just buy another couch. We're doing the opposite. Our our stated mission is to inspire humankind to buy less stuff Mm -hmm. and buy better stuff. Our stuff's not cheap, bear in mind. Sactionals are really quite expensive, but it's because they're going to last you the rest of your life if you want. So, um that became this whole philosophy, things built to last that can evolve. And there's no one else doing this because it's a very hard bar to design to, a very high bar. It has to have a ton of functionality and along with, you know, beauty and aesthetic and, and changeability and all these things. And it's a whole, it's a whole framework that we designed to, but, but what it results in is better products. And I think, you know, some evidence of that is stealth tech. So you know, this, this surround sound system that's now becoming a major component of our sales. And that is the the partnership you did with, is it Harmon Carden? Yeah. So actually Stealth Tech is a love sack invention. We had this idea many years ago and, and, and to some degree, I have my wife to blame. We moved back from Connecticut. So the company moved from Utah to Connecticut for 10 years and then back to Utah where I live. We still have home bases in Connecticut and Utah, but we're fully remote now after COVID. Mm -hmm. But basically, when we moved back to Utah, we had this great room set up. We were moving out of this old colonial in Connecticut Mm. to this more modern home in Utah with a great room, you know, kitchen right off the main room. And after setting up my sectionals, you know, I wanted to have surround sound in there. And and Tiffany wasn't very excited about, you know, (laughs) speakers on the wall or cutting holes in the ceiling. And, you know, sure. Well, where's the obvious place that, surround sound speakers should exist as I'm viewing a movie, kicking back, you know, watching Netflix with my kids or whatever. And, and I mean, I think it's pretty obvious if only, and I'm the couch guy. So like, how do we solve that? And product, same thing, you know? And by the way, just like the sectionals, you know, when we first made the prototypes of the sectionals, my fur- the furniture guys we were renting space from in that original factory mm-hmm. helped were supposed to help me prototype them and, and they, and they wouldn't do it. They, they're like, it'll, that'll never work. Like it's too, it's too rickety. It's too blocky. It's too, you know, how are they going to connect? They're never going to stay connected all these things. And, and it's almost like they were too expert in couches to be dumb enough to try it. Same thing with home audio. When we first uh, played with this, you know, I mean, sound engineers were like, well, you, you can't do that. Your speakers have to be exposed. They have to be under an acoustically transparent fabric. But we just kind of believed that, hey, there's got to be a way to tune these things that, you know, through the foam, through the fabric, through the washable cover, it can be tuned in a way to deliver perfect, no loss quality home audio. And that's exactly what we invented. And we took that invention to Harman Kardon because we knew that if we were going to launch a surround sound system for, for thousands of dollars, mind you, that was going to not only be great, but frankly, anyone going to take the risk on the name Lovesack as their home audio provider we would need that credibility and, and, and Harman Kardon helped us refine the product. But even when we took it to them, mm-hmm. their, their head engineer, he and I ended up in a screaming match because like, you can't do that. Like everyone knows that, you know, in speaker land, everyone knows like you have to have a, you know, a speaker grill or it's like, no, no, no. I want it to be invisible. <laughs> and we told them how to do it. Cause we had done it and we had patented it. 
and and they helped us refine it and, and bring it to market and they were shocked when it worked and, and sure enough you know you down so right now you download the stealth tech app you tell the app what configuration your sectionals are in where you've placed you know and it'll tell you where to place the pieces with the speakers the front and rear speakers you got a subwoofer that mounts up underneath no tools really easy you can install them in sectionals you bought 15 years ago like mine oh wow yeah reverse compatible that's designed for life in action we're not going to tell you to, oh you should have waited you should have got the stealth tech sectionals no just buy your sectionals get stealth tech later we don't care everything we make is reverse compatible the new covers we make the new styles wedge huh. roll arm storage seat power hub wow. stealth tech you can add it to the sectionals you bought from us a decade ago. So you're saying the opposite of of anything Apple has made ever. <laughs> Bingo. And by the way, I love that you bring that up because anyone with a brain knows they could make that camera pop out. Oh, yeah. They're good enough engineers that, you know, the new camera, the new technology, they can make this thing modular. They could make that battery serviceable. The sad part is this. There's a bunch of sad aspects to that whole way of operating planned obsolescence. And by the way, we don't need to pick on Apple. Everyone and everything, Yeah. you know, jeans, right? Like right now, man, I am facing a fashion crisis because I just got back from fashion week. We launched our collaboration with Alice and Olivia. Oh, fun. Yeah. Really cool. Sat cover, you know, limited edition. There's like a super high fashion. It's fun for a furniture company to even be there. Yeah. Right? Everywhere I, I look, I feel like, you know, the fish out of water because I'm still wearing like skinny jeans <laughs> and, and like everyone's moved on to like the baggy jeans again that I grew up with. You know, it's like I was wearing these in the 90s. The Jinko jeans. Yes. <laughs> and here's the thing, man. I refuse to do it. This is why if you ever, you know, see me on social or whatever, I'll, you'll always see me in this same black T-shirt. It's my silent protest of fashion. And it, <laughs> These trends, this is not, these are not real. These are imposed upon us by the industry. Otherwise we would just do what I do and just live with the same jeans. They're good jeans. I bought them. They're, they last. I like how they look, you know, like from fashion to electronics, you know, your printer, don't get me started. Your TV, <laughs> your TV has a five watt transformer when it only needs a two watt transformer. Why? Because these LED TVs, if it didn't, they would last forever. Mm -hmm. Technology is that good, and they purposely want them to eventually pix, you know, pixel out and burn out. It's gross because these same people are probably marching in the Earth Day parade, you know, talking about recycling. Mm -hmm. Meanwhile, they're just spewing things onto into the world to pack them into this mobile phone to to resell you the same device two years later, and then see your e waste not even buried in our soil because it's too toxic. We'll ship. We'll pay Ghana to take it and bury it in their soil. Mm -hmm. Because we don't yeah. want that crap buried in our soil. Mm -hmm. We never needed to buy all these phones. We never needed to buy all those clothes. We And it's not to say we can't have newness and novelty. And sure. that's why our covers are changeable and washable. And we're trying to spin up programs where, pe where people can trade their covers. We're working on it. Where we can recycle them or repurpose them or just find them a new home and get people into sexuals that maybe even couldn't afford them. Like we're working on all these programs mm -hmm. because we believe in it. And what will the outcome be? Think about this. This is the coolest part. You'll, you'll say, well, Sean, your company can only ever get so big then. Yeah. On sectionals. But yes, I will be forced to innovate into other categories. Apple should have been forced to innovate into other categories, but we just keep giving them the same thousand bucks every couple of years. So why should they? And I refuse to do business that way. And designed for life 
is the answer for all product categories in the future. No mm -hmm. one's going to do it. The big companies won't do it. How can Apple do it? They would literally cut their sales in half. Why can I do it? Because I'm going to eat so much market share along because I'm small enough to do it. It's a total different way of thinking about business, and I'm convinced it's the right way. And with this design for life philosophy, I read that you know your goal was to save I think four million couches from landfills. Oh yeah, I think is what I, I mean, read. Do you think you've that's, that's being conservative? You know? Yeah. And I've also, I read a recent stat about you guys that nearly half of your transactions are from repeat customers. Can you kind of elaborate on this stat? So would that be, you know, the people who are coming back, they've maybe purchased this sectional, but now they're getting those new cushions or they're adding that home audio. Yeah, that's exactly right. So Perfect. yeah, if you buy it, this, this is the beauty of it, right? If you buy sectionals, think how cool it is if you're a sectionals customer. You bought your sectionals five years ago, you know, maybe... Maybe you loved them. Maybe you loved that they're washable. Maybe maybe it was just the only thing that you could fit through your doorway or down a staircase. Maybe that's <laughs> it. But little did you know that five years later, you might have moved twice, relocated. They'll always fit any space. They can be broken up. They can be you know added to. So, so yeah, the repeats, they're adding pieces. They're adding on. They're growing it. They're changing covers, changing fabrics, mm -hmm. adding stealth tech. My sectionals pieces in this home I'm sitting in are 15 years old, some of them. They're made it with brand new pieces. They're wow. made it with storage seats. They're made it with inventions and, and stealth tech is integrated. That's so no cool. Tools. Yeah. And, and so that's true sustainability. Everyone's trying to recycle crap and yeah. we do that too, but it's like, let's just start making things that sustain. And we're, so we're really proud of that. It just makes more sense. And, you know, sadly though, in most product categories, there, these options don't exist. And what's funny is even the most regular sustainable products, they're just recycled, you know, or whatever, you know, green versions of mm -hmm. the same thing that's meant to be obsolescent. And it's a bunch of crap. It's a, it's hypocritical. And so look, you know, we have a different way of thinking about this. We didn't start out with this vision as I described. It was just trying to, you know, stay alive in the beginning, <laughs> but it's one thing has led us to another. And I think we've really stumbled onto something that I think is quite meaningful. And by the way, gives the organization a ton of purpose and mm -hmm. passion. I mean, it's a place that people want to want to build this with us. Absolutely. You know, and I love that, like, you know, you're talking about being able, you're sitting on a sectional that's 15 years old, but you can refresh it. You know, we are talking about trends and how rapidly like trend cycles are shifting. And so if you want to, mm -hmm update your living room to be, you know, I don't know, more on trend for the season or whatever. You can swap out the covers, you can upgrade your colors right. and 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 save your old covers so that when that color is back in style, you know, three years later when the trend cycle swings back, um, you'll still have those and you can swap them out, That's which right. is so cool. Or, or, or trade them, you know, with some, some other section. There's a whole, you know, Facebook forum around sections. Mm -hmm. We love seeing the action there. We love seeing, you know, sometimes people, I'll meet people and be like, oh, I have a, a love sack and they're a little sheepish. And I'll, you know, I know what it is because like, mm -hmm. I've had this so many times and it's turned out, turns out they, they bought it on Craigslist mm -hmm. and like nothing could make me happier because it had the value to be sold on Craigslist yeah. and not just, you know, thrown away or, or given away. And, and so we're leaning way far into this. We'll spin up those programs that you just kind of described that, that are intuitive. Mm -hmm. Like I said, like these concepts, what the funny part is, these are not groundbreaking. They're pretty obvious. They just don't exist because companies 
don't want to talk about it because they would have to cut their sales in half. Yeah. Like the biggest companies that have already grown on this bloated, disgusting way of doing business. Our stuff should have never gotten this cheap. Our, there, we shouldn't have so much stuff. And I hate to sound like a, like a buzzkill, but like, you know, the whole movement of all the overseas manufacturing, everything it brought us, so it's like we can have everything as cheap as, as we can imagine it. Um, you know, I mean, in a, to a certain extent, it's raised our standard of living and it's raised the standard of livings for some of those countries where like modernization has happened. And I, I, I actually believe that's a real outcome and I don't, I don't disparage that outcome. Mm-hmm. necessarily, but I do disparage the outgrowths of it. And now we're just addicted to stuff that's just too cheap. And I really believe we should all should be buying less stuff, but buying better stuff. And, um, and maybe, you know, not spending any more money and maybe mm-hmm. not succumbing ourselves to all of these trends. Cause maybe these trends never needed to exist in the first place. They're forced upon us. They're fake. They're not real. Trends are not real. Trends are imposed upon society by the forces that want those trends to happen. And so, you know, I, I, and I look, I think there is a place for art. There's a place. That's why I loved fashion week. Like I believe in high fashion. Mm-hmm. I believe that people should buy statement pieces that they can invest in and, and maybe keep for, and be proud of for a very long time. There are pieces of art. Oh, absolutely. But I think our staples, yeah, our staples in every category should be more like sectionals. They should be standardized. They should be manufactured really sustainably, which is something we're moving towards but like the whole the whole ethos the next step becomes obvious once you really embrace it Hmm. well it definitely sounds like you guys have you've found your true vision and you know you mentioned purpose and in finding that purpose and this design for life philosophy that you've adopted and definitely seems to be kind of now woven throughout the fabric of love sack And touching upon the topic of purpose, we know that younger consumers, millennials, Gen Z, Gen Z especially, with them kind of, I guess, occupying more of the consumer base, you know, how have you shifted, you know, your your marketing strategies to, you know, a younger audience? Yeah, so there there are lots of components to that. I mean, um, things you know, endeavors like these collaborations mm-hmm. with Alice and Olivia on the high fashion side. Last year, we did with Jeremy Scott with Skino. Mm-hmm. We um, do collaborations with Xbox in the past, the X Games. You know, all kinds of different properties where a brand, an irreverent brand like Lovesat, can hang. You know, a lot of our competitors can't hang in that space, mm-hmm. and 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 and. Also, the sack, you know, the sack is kind of our portal to the hearts and minds of the youth. And I think yeah. we've tried to keep that really relevant, you know, from my generation, which is, which is a long time ago now when I first made these in college. But like just yesterday, you know, a buddy of mine sent me uh, a clip of one of the top uh, quarterbacks just recruited, you know, top draft pick. He was asked um, what he's what he's doing with his money. And he bought his house and he bought his truck and he, and he was laughing. He's like, I went out and bought the biggest love sack. I've always wanted one since I was a kid. You know, <laughs> trying to we, we, we use the sack to kind of penetrate that world, to show up at Coachella, to sh- you know, because it's fun, man. It's still fun. Mm-hmm. It always was like something you kick back on, you know, make out on, I don't know, whatever, you know, like a love sack just puts a smile on your face. And so it's an element of our brand that could have fallen away as we started selling hundreds of millions in sectionals. It would have been easy for us just to, well, we're beyond that now. But I think uh, it's part of our secret sauce. And it's part of the reason I hope we can stay relevant 
because even if you never could afford a love sack, they're not cheap either. They last forever. And if you were the kid whose parents never would have bought them one, well, by the time you're 25, hopefully you're making your own money and you're like, you know, dang it, I'm getting a love sack or I'm, I'm getting sectionals. You know, it's a brand that's resonated. So that's a big piece of it is trying to, you know, be true to our roots. And, and I think that there, look, I think there's a lot to be said for just authenticity. I think that a- anyone, again, with a brain, Gen Z, millennial, take your pick. Anyone with a brain can sniff out authenticity. Mm-hmm. You know, these companies that are greenwashing, these companies that profess one thing, but really behave another way. Like ultimately, ultimately, you know, they won't have the kind of success that we can have because we're truly authentic about who we are, where we came from, what we're trying to do. And, and what we're trying to do now, which is, of course, evolved a long way from the, where we started. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I, I've seen you guys a lot on TikTok, a lot of your customers mm-hmm. who buy this actional and they are quite popular. That's actually how I learned about this actional was seeing cool. people on them. <laughs> and I was like, wow, that is super cool. I can, you know, definitely see myself having one. And I think anyone on this show would be, I would implore you to go check them out because they do look like the most comfiest couch out there. So I know you guys have grown exponentially over the last, you know, five, seven years or so, but even more so in the last probably what, like year and a half, you guys have opened, was it 50, 50 new locations across the United States? Yeah, we, we open anywhere from 20 to 40 a year Wow, in different formats. You know, we have our own love sex showrooms that you, and that we call them showrooms because we don't, they're not stores anymore. You yeah. know, they're, they are showrooms for the internet. Like people research our product online. They want to sit on it. They want to pick their fabrics in person and we need to be there for them to do that. And then we don't care if they if they sit in the showroom on a sack and order on their phone. Mm-hmm. We don't care if they buy while they're there, which most of them do still like 70% of our sales happen in showrooms, which shocks people. Cause we really are a digital brand first. But in this particular category, there's that dynamic. You know, it's not it's not an eighty dollar pair of jeans. It's an eight thousand yeah. dollar couch with surround sound. Like I need to see this thing. Really experience it in, in real life. Experience yeah. it, yeah. And so we we're a big believer in physical retail. We'll continue to be. We're opening kiosks now. Some in some places, we're doing a lot of street locations. Our showrooms are tiny. They're eight hundred to a thousand square feet. There's probably five employees on staff total. Mm-hmm. Any maybe one or two there at any given moment. It's very efficient. Probably the highest sales per square foot that exists outside of Apple that we can find. So the performance is ridiculous from a retail standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, we've kind of grown into that with our high ticket items, high volume out of tiny, you know, showrooms. So it's a really efficient model for us. But our point of view still is that we want as few as we can get away with. Um, but enough that everyone can kind of get to us and find us. So we're not trying to build a retail chain. Mm-hmm. We're building an omni-channel experience that people can, you know, find our unique inventions, mm-hmm. experience them, and then buy on whatever channel they want. And I think one of the most, you know, another aspect of the business I'm proud of is is what we've done on the omni-channel side. We have an incentive program in the showrooms that's tied straight through to our website and and whatnot. So no matter where a customer ends up purchasing that team will be will be bonused and, and incented to just give them a good time, to just give them a good experience. And they don't have to close them in the moment or hook them with a discount or be pushy in that way, or even sell them stealth tech. 
I would love them to see stealth tech and experience it. But like all of our products, it's like, yeah, just get it later. You know, it's more than you wanted to spend a day. Like we don't care. Mm-hmm. Just get in the family. Cause we know, like you mentioned earlier, you know, 40% of you are going to repeat with us at least new add on pieces, more covers, you know, onesie twosies, new inventions, the, the drink holders, the table mm-hmm. things that we put out accessorized with that are pretty cool. Stealth tech. And, and again, it's all an outgrowth of the design for life mentality. And so it's, it's all one model, you know, there's many aspects to our success and, uh, and thankfully a lot of the trends that have emerged in retail have either played into our favor, or I think we've found a, a productive way of integrating them. Mm-hmm. You know, this whole debate about online and stores and, and incentive and, and cost structures. I, I think like LoveSack in many respects has, has over time done a good job wrangling those issues. Yeah, absolutely. So really bringing the digital world into the physical presence so people can fully engage with and experience the product in real time, you know, feel the fabric, hear their surround sound, picture themselves sitting on that sectional in their living room. And and then also, you know, building those relationships with with your employees. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, let me riff on that for one second because that's actually, you know, really completes the circle of our overall philosophy. So, we make long-term products. You know, I've just dis- I've, I've discussed this through our design for life approach. That's that's how we do product. Mm-hmm. But we realize that there are many aspects, other aspects of this business. We operate all these showrooms. We operate, you know, headquarters that also need to embrace sustainability. And, and so we've really la- latched on to the idea of the circular economy to the extent that we have stated, and it's, you know, we've made these statements publicly. You can find all this stuff on our, on our blog, on my blog, or the footer of the site. So our operational philosophy, we call circle to consumer. And what it's going to be is we will spin up all these programs. Like I mentioned, you know, trade in, trade up, peer-to-peer trade, warranty, remanufacturing, it's all coming very long-term focused policies and programs to marry up to these long-term products. And the end result is then long-term relationships, you know? So I think it's a beautiful triangle of, you know, between product and programs and people that uh, is this circular way of doing business that mm-hmm. will use less resource, ship things over shorter distances, eventually lower carbon footprint, of course, sustainable products with sustainable outcomes and, and sustained relationships. And in the end, that's the business model that's going to win. And we, we encourage other businesses to, to think like this. You know, we're skeptical. I don't think in the near term they will, but I think over the long term they have to because they'll be competing with us. And this is what's going to win is this way of operating, both from a recruitment standpoint, retention standpoint, as well as, of course, from a customer and product standpoint. And so we're very, you know, we're lucky to have kind of started as this beanbag company with no direction. <laughs> and, and, but we found, we found, I think, tremendous direction. And, and uh, I just feel like it's our duty to sort of like bring it now to the world and show that, see, because if we can compete so well that we become one of the largest, but certainly the most beloved furniture brand on the planet, that's our stated goal. Our mission is to become the most beloved furniture brand on the planet, which of course will result in all kinds of financial success, size, growth, market share. How can that be ignored? 
and if it and if it and if it's not ignored then how can it not be emulated so so we're going to hopefully change the hearts and minds of customers that after living with their sectionals for a while will start to question the other crap they own and think man why why isn't this thing designed for life why isn't that thing designed for life i really like love sack and all of a sudden they're you know regardless of their politics regardless of their passion for the earth they 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 logically out of self-interest want the things in their life to be more sustainable if that's truly successful commercially other companies will be forced to adopt these strategies out of self-interest and that's critical because you know if you're just trying to win people's hearts and minds over with the religion of sustainability it's a hard road in the end people do what they do they're selfish they act out of self-interest you know they're lazy and i don't i'm not trying to be critical that's like the just human nature i'm i'm one of them <laughs> but if you can align their self-interest and and company's self-interest greed <laughs> with sustainable approaches that that work for the customer that work for the success of a business that's when you have you can get real momentum and really move the needle and that's what we're trying to do. Well, I am certainly a believer in the design for life philosophy and in the love sack vision. Sean, you know, I really enjoyed hearing your story today about how you started this company at such such a young age with a lot of perseverance, mm-hmm. a lot of risk taking and this entrepreneurial spirit which you know, all of these traits, I feel like, have really played into the evolution of the company and continue to show up in Love Sack today. And I'm super excited to see, you know, the company continue to grow. And I really appreciate having you on the show today. Thanks for having me. It's been wonderful discussion. I appreciate, you know, your take on it. And yeah, keep an eye on Love Sack. We'll, we'll, we'll keep doing what we do.